All right, what's good, everybody? Welcome back to Chopping It Up with P. Scott. I'm Prescott Kelly. Today is Wednesday, May 3rd. Glad to have you back with us. Procession becomes reality. The Dylan Brooks story. NBA playoffs are heating up. A boy, Dolo J, gave me a shot on his podcast. Asking about the Buffalo Bills because he's a Bills fan too. Shout out to Dolo J and the Kick It to Dolo podcast. You can find it on YouTube and Spotify. Also, make sure that you smash the five-star reviews and follows for both him and my dude, Matt Zabrowski of the Clearly Unclear podcast, of the Clearly Unclear podcast on Spotify. Thank you, good sir. It was a rough start to the show. All right, hit the reset button. Now, where I wanted to start with this episode was Dylan Brooks because I did an episode about a year ago called Perception Becomes Reality, and it was in regards to Draymond Green, and people are trying to draw the comparisons between him and Dylan Brooks. And I've kind of done the same thing. It's, it's somewhat of a lazy take. It's somewhat of a lazy thing to do, but that's the low hanging fruit. It's easy. We pick it sometimes. I'll dive into it a little bit more, especially with the, the Memphis Grizzlies and that they are done with Dylan Brooks, not bringing him back. I'm going to give you more than just the easy pick inside on this. Cause we can all, we can all dive into one specific thing, but I'll give you my take on a much more macro approach to it than just, you know, the talking. So we will get to Dylan Brooks, NBA playoffs, a little bit further on in the show. But so my man, Dolo J, had brought some up on his podcast, episode 28. And he brought something interesting about the Buffalo Bills. And it's something that I've been saying for quite a while. And it's nice to see somebody else kind of offer the same sentiment. In like NBA, like, or not NBA, good Lord, I need to get back on track. NFL Live has kind of uttered the same sentiment about, you've got running backs, why don't you just use them? Or, hey, you don't need another wide receiver in Buffalo. And he was asking my opinion on things because as a Bills fan, we do run into these, we run into these hurdles of so good for four straight years, four straight Super Bowl appearances, and... Four straight L's. It happens. Well, actually, it doesn't. I shouldn't say it happens because it really doesn't. But we go through these peaks and valleys, right? The Bills won two AFL championships right before the merger, then were like the epitome of mediocrity for a long time and or worse than that. Then you make it to four straight Super Bowls in the early 90s. You lose them all. And then you have this dark cloud over Bills Mafia for basically 1996-7-ish until 2017-ish. That's a long time to be bad. The Buffalo Bills were a slightly northeastern-ish version of the Cleveland Browns that nobody really talks about. This franchise was really bad for a long time. They weren't the Browns Browns bad. They weren't like first overall pick multiple years or the Jets or the Giants or something. They weren't that bad every year. But when you go almost two straight decades without a playoff appearance, that's going to hurt your resume a little bit. And before I get more into the analytical side, if you will, that sounds like it's, it sounds much more nerdy than what I'm going to break it down to. But before we actually get into those things, when I say the Bills were essentially the Cleveland Browns of the AFC East though, that's not hyperbole. That isn't me reaching. That isn't me over-exaggerating at all. The Browns were the easier target because they had more number one overall picks because they picked 
further at the bottom of the draft than Buffalo did. But we always associate quarterback hell with the Cleveland Browns because of what happened basically when they went back to Cleveland in the 2000 season. And there's graveyards and there's a notorious jersey that somebody just hand wrote in black Sharpie the last names of quarterbacks and just stuck them on a jersey. Like we, that's what we associate bad quarterback play with. This is going to hurt quite a bit, but y'all need to know the truth about just how bad Buffalo was at the quarterback position for as long as they were. The Bills also had roughly around 20-ish starting quarterbacks. Now, I don't have a bingo board or anything like that. I'm pretty sure that you guys will remember some of these names, but some of them you won't. After Jim Kelly retired, after the 1996-97 season, they had taught, and I'm not going to give you all the games that they played per season. That's going to take too long. But just so you guys can realize how bad they were for how long. Todd Collins, Alex Van Pelt, Doug Flutie, Rub Johnson. We had, there was like a three-year period where those three guys were just constantly recircling with each other. Drew Brees from 02 to 04 and played all 16 games. J.P. Lossman, Kelly Holcomb, Trent Edwards, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Brian Brom. We went back in that same trio, Fitzpatrick, Edwards, and Brom for a little bit. E.J. Manuel, Thad Lewis, Jeff Tool, Kyle Orton, E.J. Manuel. I think I already said him. I did. Uh, Tyrod Taylor, Matt Castle, Nathan Peterman, Derek Anderson, Matt Barkley. That was, um, that's a lot of names that I just listed off. And it was in that 2018 draft where they got Josh Allen. Um, That's bad. To quote Shrek, that's not bad. It's bad. It's really, really bad. That's really, really bad for 20 plus years. And that's not even counting Kevin Cobb, who never even had a start. Now, that one's less egregious. It was a one-year, half-million-dollar deal just to back up EJ Man at the time. Even though in Madden he was rated higher, which is, that's not good. Sometimes we forget because like the, the Bledsoe years happen. The Flutie year happened. The Fitzmagic years happen. The Bills weren't necessarily good, but they were fun to watch at least. So we kind of get clouded by the judgment of how bad Buffalo has ran the organization prior to Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott coming to town and just completely re-tool that roster. But to get back to more of the original point of the question of, you know, Josh Allen, running backs, where should we have allocated our draft picks, things like that. I've been saying for years, and I was getting laughed at through the socials, when you go in like these private group chats, like regardless of what social media platform you're on, I'm like, yo, the Bills have a run game, they just don't use it. And I would, people would just be like, that doesn't make any sense. And it just goes back to the theory of, well, if you're averaging about four and a half to five yards a carry with two running backs, you can, you just aren't. And it's not that the Bills run, like it's not that their offensive line has been staggering. They haven't been excellent. And we we get these numbers kind of put in our minds sometimes where teams or players are better than what they actually are when other individuals are able to mask it. So the Bills offensive line looked good two years ago. Josh Allen sometimes does just some miraculous magical and pulls it out of his ass, and yes, he bails you out of certain plays. He's also the reason why you get in trouble more often than not. But it's the fact that you have two guys from last year, at least, James Cook, Devin Singletary, and 
when I see Devin Singletary, because the Lions were so bad for so long, it's like they took the motor out of Motor City, plugged it in Devin Singletary's back, gave him a pole string, made him Woody from Toy Story, but there's no poisoning that water hole. That's how that man got the, the nickname of Motor. Because y'all certainly didn't have it in Detroit for the longest time. But they have had running backs over the past two or three years, and they just don't use them as running backs. And it's not even that they use, they use Josh Allen too much to my liking on design runs. I understand that you're going to use him as much as you can, especially early on in his career, because that body can't do it the same way it's going to at 22, 3, 4, and 5, as it will at 29, 30, and 31. It's just not going to be about that life. And like, there's, there's all the evidence in front of you that he's not going to want to run the same way and also won't be able to run the same way and play the same way that he has early on in his career. But he makes a good point in his podcast. He says, you know, what's what's kind of gotten the Bills and been their number recently is not being able to run the ball when they need to. And that's been my argument on this show for two years now. It's not that they can't. It One, it's that they won't. Two, they can't do it in critical positions. One of the things that I preach on the show more than anything else when it comes to football is situational football. Can you pick up the third down when you need it? Can you run the ball when you need to? A lot of this stuff when it comes to the ground and pound thing, that's an antiquated way of playing football. It's an antiquated way of looking at football. That doesn't mean it's still not necessary at times. And when the Bills need to do it, they can't. They always, always, always the bet. So in free agency, they let Devin Singletary go. They didn't re-sign him. He's in Houston now. They pick up Damian Harris, which is, to me, that just seems like it's the same back. But Devin Singletary, he was kind of a, a fan favorite, if you will. For those of us who really watch the Bills all the time, we understand why he has that nickname of Motor. But between James Cook, Damian Harris, and Naheem Hines, you better use those damn running backs this year. You better. And use them for what they're supposed to be used for. James Cook got benched is kind of the the wrong word because he was already the number two back behind Singletary at the beginning of the year. So it's something he was benched, but he saw less touches early in the season last year because he had some fumbles issues at the, the first six, seven, eight weeks of the season. But as the season went on, they gave him more touches. He's a different back than Singletary. They're going to use him more of the backfield. I would imagine Damian Harris is now here to essentially replace Singletary, but you do need to cut down the designated runs by Josh Allen. Why have three good running backs if you're not even going to use two of them? What sense does that make? And we'll go back to the draft real quick to answer this question about where the Bills should go and what they did, not where they should go because it's already passed. But I had mentioned on a previous episode, like I didn't necessarily mind the Kincaid pick a tight end. I just felt like they could have gone a different way. Back up, like maybe they consider him the starting tight end now. I would imagine so. The Bills don't use their tight ends for a lot of, like, well, they use their tight ends for blocking, but they don't use Dawson Knox for blocking. I doubt they're going to use Kincaid a lot for blocking. This might just be, hey, let's get more big-bodied receivers who are just going to play more outside. Like they're obviously going to slot him up every once in a while, you know, on the line of scrimmage. But between Knox and Kincaid, I feel like they're going to split Kincaid out more probably, and then use Knox more in the traditional tight end role, but still use him in passing routes. And like I said previously, it's not that I necessarily hated it. I just wish that they would have gone at a position of more need. And given where teams were going directly beforehand and directly afterwards, 
wide receiver wasn't going to be that bad because Seattle got Jackson and Jigba. And after that, you're like, all right, well, the best one's off the board. And because that's the thing for me, it's not an amount of getting wide receivers or not having enough. It's getting an actual dynamic number two wide receiver that the Bills just don't have. And I think that that's why they ended up moving up to get Kincaid is because once Njigba was off the board, because I feel like they thought that he was going to slip because Seattle picked him, I think, at 20. And once he got off the board, they're like, all right, we got to make a move. There's a rumor around that they blocked Dallas intentionally, which I kind of get. But if that's salty from 1991, that makes us no better than them at that point in time in my book. But when you see when you see people who don't watch this team religiously and they only watch, let's say, playoff games, they start building up their own internal belief of what a player is or isn't. And Gabe Davis has absolutely won the hearts over non-Bills fans. Now, some the diehards are still out there saying he's the next number two. When Stefan hangs it up, or because he's not that he's going to be doing it anytime soon, but the theory is Gabe Davis will be WR1 sometime. And I'm over here going, Have you seen this guy's entire resume, his entire body of work? It's not that impressive. We saw the shootout game against Kansas City, where the dude was left open for two touchdowns, and it felt like one of their safeties sold another TD because I think he had four touchdowns in that game. So many folks in Bills Mafia and then the people who just don't watch the Bills play that often already put Gabe Davis and I got to get him in fantasy. No. And I know that fantasy is a stupid way for the, to kind of quantify how good somebody is, but that's how you get the fans engaged with what, what kind of person, what kind of player you are. I don't know who you are, but that playoff game, you were dope. Let's pick up Gabe Davis. Nah, man. He can give you the nine catch for 140 game. He gives you that every six weeks. And the majority of his games are stinkers. They're one, two, three catch games. They're barely over double digits. They're less than 30 yards. That's not a number two wide receiver. Like, not to me. Again, he has his moments, but that's not a number two wide receiver. So had the Bills been able to get a real dog at number one, for the wide receiver, that's what I wanted. But if they weren't going to make that move, that most likely wasn't going to happen. Actually, the thing I really wanted more than anything else was a number two corner opposite of Tredavious White because the safeties are getting older. I figure if you can get another stud corner, I'm not sure about Kair Elam at this point in time, but if you get a really stud lockdown corner at, the, at your first pick and then you start addressing the safeties next year because that's going to need to happen, either that or free agency, because that secondary is getting old. It's still good, but it's old. Khalil Shakir was pretty good for them last year. Had a couple big grabs, but they went and drafted Justin Shorter as well. So for me, it's not so much that they don't have enough wide receivers. They have too many. But what I'd like to see them do is package maybe Gabe Davis in a second or third round pick, something like that, to couple and go get like another number one wide receiver to go opposite of Stephon Diggs because that's going to open up more run lanes. That's going to open up the underneath stuff for the tight ends, for guys like Shakir, for younger guys like Shorter. It just, to me, they're just so top heavy reliant on digs. The number of wide receivers they have doesn't necessarily bother me because they still have like four, which is, you know, four or five, which is what you're supposed to have anyways. But besides digs, who's just a target monster, I really don't trust everybody else to be able to make big impactful moments. So yeah, what I really wanted more than anything else was a top flight corner that wasn't available 
everything that was going after the fact was defensive ends, defensive tackles, outside linebackers. And they went ahead and got Kincaid, who I think what they're trying to do is what I think is going to end up getting teams in trouble is like, you're still trying to out Patrick Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes. But in the day and age where this is where I look at football, how I know that you're a good football team is, do you have the ability to put up 30 if you need to, but the days of, you know, you can't just win these ugly games anymore. You're going to have those games every once in a while. But if you absolutely have to put up 30 because you're playing Mahomes, can you do it? This move at least does that. I think that they should be looking at a way to stop him more than go blow for blow with him. Mahomes is a dude that's completely different in the pocket. He's a completely different player than Josh Allen. Josh Allen gets rattled, still plays hero ball, still has way too many fumbles, whether they're lost or not. He still does. And interceptable passes. The guy is still reckless. He's great, but he's reckless as all hell. If that's the way that you're going to play, you need to find a way to be able to stop Mahomes as opposed to just out Mahomes Mahomes because you're just not going to do it. Sorry, that was a little bit more self-absorbed than it usually is. I don't take a lot of Bills football on here, but look, the, the, the love has to be reciprocated. Like that's how you get things done. That's how you show your appreciation. So, but yeah, Bills football dominated the first part of the show. Deal with it. If they're as good as what you think they are, you should be listening because it's them anyways. Am I right? Because they're no longer a regional team, right? They're a national team. <laughs> That's how you play the game. You wait till they're good, and then you talk about them. When they're not good, you don't talk about them. And I almost forgot this one. Before we go to commercial break from our sponsor, there's something that I've been saying on previous episodes, but the numbers for the show have been kind of skyrocketing recently, so I know we've got some new listeners. The other thing that I believe, because I look at sports not just as statistics and box scores, I talk about complexes. I talk about egos a lot because that has a large factor in a lot of what these teams do when it comes to acquisitions, when we see teams reach on certain guys because they have to get the quarterback or because they have to win the offseason. The egos go into play and it goes into players as well. And that's one of the other reasons I feel like the Bills are forcing Josh Allen down your throat. Everybody that I listed beforehand, they're trying so hard to let you guys know we're not that team anymore. No, no, that, that's 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 the old. That's the old us, man. This is new. This is new. This is new Bill, baby. This is new Bill Buffalo. You ain't got to worry about that anymore. We're not going back there. And they want you to believe it's so bad. And I'm not saying that we're going to go back. I say we, that they, that the Bills are going to go back there. That's not what I'm saying. But they just want you to feel so comfortable and say that we got our guy. We finally have a dude who's like in the MVP candidacy sometimes. And they want to show him off. But until they can start to back off from that, the Bills as an organization, until they can realize that the baby brother complex no longer applies to you, because that's what it's been. Brady ran that joint for 20 years. Oh, yeah, well, we got a more athletic Tom Brady. You want to see our Tom Brady? Here's our Tom Brady. No. Let Josh Allen continue to be great, but slow it down. Play correct football. and Stop trying to cram him down our throats like he's a new savior. Because he's starting, it hasn't quite happened yet. But what the sports sims are doing are saying, hey, man, you got 28 AFC Championship game two years ago. You lost in the division around this year. Are you guys on the way back? The AFC is the AFC. It's not going to be easy to get through regardless. But he's starting to get the narrative of, now, like, like the first two years of his career, the narrative was he's trash. And I told y'all, no. Give him some time, give him some weapons. Now he's had some time and some weapons, and he is. 
one of the more elite quarterbacks. But he does still have his downfalls. And until Buffalo is willing to get out of their system of, hey, we got the guy now. We don't have to keep pretending and having this 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 baby energy that we got the new guy in town. Because until you end up beating Mahomes in the playoffs and until you get at least get to a Super Bowl, that's going to be the same narrative. And God forbid you get to one and lose one. Oh, clutch your pearls, Bills Mafia, because you could already hear the boy I love losing Super Bowls again. I said in the last episode, nobody likes an I told you so guy, but I was going to be I told you so guy. And sometimes you have to do that. Like this is the only way I can really spread my bona fides and let you guys know exactly what I do know. Or not that I know what's going to happen, but just not to go so counterintuitive to what the media says. Just stay in your lane. Think for yourself, dog. Because what you guys were being told was Lamar Jackson's not getting that guaranteed money. Lamar Jackson's not signing with the Ravens, and he's got he's not gonna get those years, and he can't do it without a he can't do it without an agent. Well, guess who was right about all those three things? Y'all was wrong. Yeah, that was your boy. There was also one, and there's the receipts because they're all they're all here in the catalog. Do you guys remember when Baker Mayfield was having issues and they would say, well, he's not being traded, he's gonna get released. And I said he's gonna get traded, don't worry about it. And last house season he got traded. And then he got cut, and people were saying he's never going to play again. He, like, he he just doesn't have it anymore. He should have never taken number one, and this is going to prove it. And I suggest you wait, since because he was the number one overall pick, these guys get more leeway. He's going to find another gig, and he started in Los Angeles. Man, y'all are too kind. I'm going to hit you with something else real quick because Shaq is now saying that Dylan Brooks might be out of the NBA next season. No, he won't. That is ridiculous. So, so Shaq, just, just to, I want to I recap real quick. Didn't you also say the Minnesota Timberwolves were going to win the championship this year once they got Rudy Gobert? <laughs> that was, that was a thing that you had said too, right? Okay. I just want to, so I'll make sure that we are all revisiting the same Shaquille O'Neal. When it comes to Dylan Brooks, the Memphis Grizzlies are coming out flatly and saying he will not be back with us next year. And there's a number of factors to this. The easy thing for us to do is dumb this down to just, you're just not that good. Which, you know, I could, I could see that. Or dumb it down to, you're basically value village Draymond Green. Which, I don't really even necessarily believe that. When you look at both of those players, are they individually responsible for a lot of the success for their team? No. And Golden State, it's largely Steph and Clay, and then KD, because he was really good too. I'm not sure if you guys were aware of that or not. But because the team was so good, and because Draymond does do the ugly and dirty things that you need a player to do that most players aren't willing to do, you let him get away with a lot of his sh- And now that he's getting older and now that he's costing you games, he already, by all intents and purposes of the way that people look at that 2016 finals, you already cost them one series, but you already had Reem beforehand. So they let it slide. 
and you got more afterwards. So they let it slide. But you're getting older now, and you got another technical yesterday. And if this is what you're going to be, and the, the whole squad with Golden State is getting older now. Like This isn't just a Draymond Green thing. It's, it's their entire roster. They do have some younger pieces, but the real core, the ones that really matter, are the ones that are getting to the other side of their careers. So again, if you want to make the argument that just Dylan Brooks isn't that good, he's not worth the headache, when you look at what his salary was, I think he was coming off of a three-year, $30 million deal. Do you think he's a $10 million a year player? If you're really just going to come at me and say, of course he's not, then you don't understand the economics of basketball and what these contracts are. Three-year, $30 million for a starter who's a good defender and at the bare minimum is a willing shooter. Now, there are times where you have to check yourself, and Dylan Brooks isn't doing that. But this is what is the problem with Dylan Brooks. Dylan Brooks stopped being Dylan Brooks. When Dylan Brooks was the role player, when he was the guy that, because this, this is the thing, it, it happens with every player, it feels like, that I enjoy watching. Because Dylan Brooks is one of those guys that you do need. The energy guy, the one who's willing to take the tough responsibility on defense, the guy who's willing to take the shot because they have the confidence. Doesn't mean you always want them taking it. But if it needs to go up because your stars are out or they're in foul trouble or whatever the case might be, and you need somebody who's at least willing to take it, he's at least willing to do that. And see, Draymond isn't like that. But again, Draymond used to be. He would be jacking threes all the time. Top of the key, you leave him open, he was pulling it. And then he kind of had this self-realization. Oh, yeah, that's not my bag. That ain't who I am. Dylan Brooks is, what, 26, 27? He still has a few more years left of what we would call your prime in the NBA. He's not done. The biggest thing, obviously, is going to be the antics. Can he calm him down? Can he stop talking so much? But did you guys ever hear one in, like, any, any interaction with Dylan Brooks basically until this whole John Morant stuff started happening? Until the whole... We good in the West, and then Jaw started protect, or projecting himself in a way that we didn't really associate him with that either, because I didn't. What Memphis is doing is they're doing what all organizations do. Who's the fall guy? It's Dylan Brooks. It's certainly not going to be Desmond Bain. It's certainly not going to be Jaron Jackson Jr. You know sure as shit it's not going to be Jaw. You can't do it with Steven Adams because he'll put you in a headlock. Dylan Brooks is the guy who is the marginal player on a marginal contract who is not under contract. It's the easiest way for them to try to save face and say, you know what? We're good. We don't need those distractions anymore. We're trying to build a different culture. Okay, but the strip clubs was cool. Job flashing his piece around was cool. Doing the gritty after getting your ass whooped was cool. We're, no, we're going to keep all that. We're going to keep all that noise. But we're going to have an issue with is the trash talking by Dylan Brooks. He's the fall guy. It's what it is. It's so classic management, especially in the world of sports. Who can we pin this on but protect the people who are actually skilled? You still need a guy like Dylan Brooks. But can you get one at a lesser headache? I would say you probably can. But I don't believe for one second that he's going to be out of the league. This is what I think you're probably going to end up seeing. He's going to go to one of these squads that has somebody at a position that he already plays, but who is more already offensively gifted. We've talked a little bit about 
Jalen Brown not being unhappy in Boston. And, you know, hey, if they want me, they want me. If they don't, they don't because I'm the missing, I'm the, I'm always the trade piece. If they were able to sign Jalen Brown, keep him there, and then use, and it's not that, I'm not saying that Jalen Brown isn't a willing defender, but I'm just saying, or Marcus Smart even, but if you're trying to have somebody else come off the bench who plays a similar position and kind of resurrect their career, keep your mouth shut. Boston's a place. I can see Phoenix being a place. But what he's going to need to do is probably take a step back for a full season, take a lesser amount, one-year deal, back up another shooting guard, small forward, just prove that you can play and not ruffle any feathers. Because when Dylan Brooks was the old Dylan Brooks, the, the guy who could give you a spark plug and give you 18 off the bench, or not even at the bench because most of the year he was starting, but a guy who can give you 18 points, can catch heat, and can lock somebody down, but wasn't talking, I was fine. And nobody cared because nobody heard from this cat. But it is, it's the, it's the old, it's so, it's, it's the oldest page in the book. Who can be the fall guy, the loud guy? The loud guy is the fall guy, especially when he didn't produce. Because I'll guarantee you this before we move on. If Dylan Brooks was talking all that and still played like but Memphis still won that series somehow. Now, they whether they got dog walked by the Warriors would be another story. But let's just say they win that series, but he doesn't talk for this one. There's no talk about this whatsoever. Their ownership group didn't even just say anything. They didn't need to bring this up. But what they're doing is saving face. We're going to build another culture. This isn't acceptable here. Okay. Whatever you say, guys. We will be getting to P. Scott's picks in just a moment. Last time we did it was April 26th. We were 8-7 and seven at that point in time. We went 3-1 and one on our picks for April 26th. So we're now to 11-8. and eight. Hoping to keep that going. This one's going to be a little more difficult because today is Wednesday. I have to go into work. I have to commute tomorrow. So I won't have the opportunity to have an episode out tomorrow morning. So the next one might be Friday. But as far as the NBA playoffs are concerned, there's one game Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So doing a four-game parlay is going to be really difficult. If things change, use your best judgment. Don't do the entire parlay up front. But we're above 500. We're just under 60% for this, uh, this playoff run. We might get to some common misconceptions about Alaska because, like I mentioned in the intro, it's May 3rd, and it, it, we got a little bit of snow. It didn't stick. But I know there's some people listening and like, yeah, you live in Alaska. Of course you'd get snow. We get the random ones, but we don't get it all year long. We also get the, do you guys really get no sunlight and then all sunlight? Yeah, we do. And are you really the biggest state? Yeah, we are. Suck at California and Texas. We are. It's amazing how much... The education system has failed us as a country. But anyway, moving on. We hear all the time, this is a must-win game. But we also hear that the series doesn't really start until someone loses at home. So which one is it? Phoenix and Denver? Which one is it? Is this a must-win, or has the series not started yet? I hate being that guy, but it is both. Now, the Suns are without Chris Paul. Some would say that that is a huge detriment to the Phoenix Suns. And as a general rule, I would largely agree with that. But the Phoenix Suns have Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, who are all capable of shooting the threes, but would prefer not to. So let's say you take out a guy like Chris Paul, and then let's say Cameron Payne jumps into the equation. 
Cameron Payne is not shy about shooting that three. He is not. He he will let that fly. What they've been doing largely is is they're they're giving up twos to threes. We'll we'll just kill you with a mid range game. Yeah, but if you can't stop Denver, that doesn't do you any good because they are hitting more threes than you and they're shooting it better than you as well. And you don't have any deal. You have no way to deal with Jokic at this point in time. It doesn't seem like. What I was going to say the other day, I didn't get on the microphone to do it, was that if you're looking to stop Jokic, because he's the guy, like I know they've got other dudes, they've got other guys who can contribute, but you've got to make sure that he can't really get stuff going. I'd probably actually start Bismack Biombo and have him guard as opposed to Aiden, or you can just you can put uh Bismack in and kind of swap him and Aiden. Because what I've noticed most about Michael Porter Jr. is that he likes the jacket from three. He wants to stay out there and dance, and he wants to pull up from three as opposed to getting his shot and being more of a creator. What that does, it gives you a little more length. You can still switch on screens. But what I would do is I would deny Jokic the ball at all times. Just shadow him. There's no help defense. Don't let him get the ball as it's inbounded. Don't let him get the ball at the top of the key. I'm face guarding that dude all the time. Do not let him get in any position to initiate your offense. It sounds goofy, but sometimes you got to be goofy. Sometimes you have to make some of these adjustments. Will it work for game three? Or if it, if it does work in game three and they do that, is it going to work in game four? Not necessarily. But you got to make them think about it. You have to do something differently because you're letting Jokic get whatever he wants, however he wants. And Jamal's balling out of his mind right now too. So for me, if Phoenix can come out, one, take Jokic out of the game. And I don't mean dirty status. I just mean don't let him be the joker. Don't let him be the guy that makes everything move, that makes everything work. Take him out of the game, basically. If you can do that and you can stop taking so many mid-range jumpers, because it's not like you don't have shooters. You have some shooters. You have three of two of the best in the game within Booker and KD. If you can basically, I know, and it's going to be really hard to eliminate Jokic. And the reason why I throw up Bismack, I'm just, like, you got to think of something, man. You got to do something. Get creative defensively with him. And if you can if you can limit Jokic and like have Jamal have to pick you apart with either him and or like the Michael Porter Jones, make everybody else beat you. But don't let them beat you because of Jokic finding them open because they have open passing lanes because Jokic is seven feet tall and can see the floor. Like you've got to do something where he can't be the creator. So if you can do that somehow, regardless of how you do that, whether it's my goofy way or not, but if you can help, minimize Jokic, and then increase the amount of threes that you take. They're going to have to be more aggressive. You're going to have to get on a heater. And with them being at home, I think it'll help. But if you can do those two things, I think that Phoenix has a chance of, of getting game two. If they don't win this game, it feels like this series is over. Everybody's clowning on Jordan Poole right now. And like, I kind of get it. The easy one, talk about low hanging fruit. The easy thing is just to say, what you think you Steph? What's weird is last year you guys were calling him baby Steph. I mean, that was a thing that we allowed to happen. And I told you guys when he got signed to that bigger deal. I was like, look, it's still a good contract for the NBA. It's just like it's going off for one year. Like one year, you balled out. Cool. But you still aren't Steph. And that's the narrative that we're all running with was that that that's who you think you are. You've been spending you spend too much time with Uncle Curry. Like you gotta get back into 
Jordan Poole. You get you were trying to go to the deep end of the pool when you need to stay at the kitty end of the pool, my man. Like that's what that's what the narrative of the socials is running with. You out here trying to be Michael Phelps when in reality you still got the little little swim floaties on. I don't really see it that way though. The way that I look at that play, under 10 seconds left, the ball just got reversed from Curry to Poole. Is there a chance that it could have got back to Clay, or not Clay, excuse me, get back to Steph in time for a shot? Sure. For a good shot? Probably not. Because once you swing it out of Curry's hands, you're not going to want him to get it back. Not saying it couldn't have been done, but it probably would have been fairly difficult to achieve. So the the shot itself was kind of out of Poole's range. We've seen him hit some shots right in like that kind of vicinity. But it did seem like a reach. But the reason I'm going to defend him is like, one, he was open. He had a good look at it. And again, we're playing the outcome because if he makes that, it's, hey, it's a great shot. Hit it, with, hit it in stride, hit it with confidence. That's what you need. You need other guys to step up. But because he clanked it, it's, oh, you think you Steph. But one, he was open. And a wide open shot from that distance in the NBA is not as bad of a shot as it used to be. It's still bad. But it's not regarded as bad as it used to be, especially with some of these guys who are the shooters at the shooters that they are. Jordan Poole is not quite. Steph, I think I can say that with full confidence. But we do know that he can hit that shot, though. So one, the fact that he's open and the fact that there's enough time left on the clock. What we see too often is teams take too much time and they can't get off another shot. So yeah, you may have had time to get it back to Steph and he could have splashed one. But what if you don't get that shot off because it's going to take more time to reverse it back? Or you take that shot because you still have seven, eight seconds left. What if you get the offensive board and because the defense shifts and you can find Curry open, that creates a better shot because the shot's up there and you're also looking for the rebound. You're all of a sudden not just looking at Steph. You're looking to secure a board. You're looking to box him out. There's other things that can go on as opposed to just face guarding him. With the shot going up, at least gives you the opportunity. They almost got it back. So I'm not here to just squander and just say, look, can't believe you took that shot. That makes no sense. You need. We talked about willing shooters earlier with Dylan Brooks. You have to have somebody who's not scared to take that shot. They put enough faith in Jordan Poole over the past couple of years. We've seen him have big games. We've seen him drain long threes. We've seen him put up 30 and 40 points sometimes. Why shouldn't he think that he can hit that shot? So again, between the willingness of like, you need somebody else who is willing to take that shot if Steph can't get open for it, always looking for number 30 to bail you out, Wardell's not going to be able to save you all the time. You're going to need somebody else to come up and hit big shots. So again, between that and just, when it comes to just sheer time management, if you don't get the good look and you're forcing up a shot with two tenths of a second left, that ain't good either. So you might as well just give yourself the opportunity get an offensive board, maybe put up another shot. Between those two things, I really don't have much of an issue when it comes to Jordan Poole's shot selection, given the moment. All right, before we head out today, we will get our P. Scott's picks for the day. See if we can run down through these as quickly and efficiently as possible before the music and time runs out. So, Sixers and Celtics, we got game two. Celtics are currently an eight-point favorite. Now, remember, these are, these lines are as of Wednesday. It's only about 12, 
o'clock in the afternoon, so like right at noon, Alaska time. So that means on the east on the east coast time, it's only 4 p.m. So these lines could change, and this is the only game that's going on today. Sixers and Celtics. Celtics are an eight-point favorite. I don't know if I'm touching this one as far as that line. The under/over is 217. I like 217 on the over. I think you're gonna see better shooting from everybody across the board for the Celtics. Joel Embiid is supposed to be playing. I'm not taking the point spread because if he re if he gets re-injured, maybe he leaves early. And at that point in time, I would take Boston as a favorite. Overall, I would have Philly plus eight. But that isn't what I'm worried about. Over under 217, six for Celtics. Tomorrow, we have the Lakers and Warriors game two. Lakers plus five and a half. Whew. I'm taking Golden State with minus five and a half. They're five and a half point favorites. Everyone's talking about the free throw discrepancy, which obviously is a thing that happens, but the Lakers actually do take the ball to the rack. They're not an extremely prolific three-point shooting team, so it makes sense that they owned the free throw line. Golden State jacks threes. That's what they do. So, but I think what you're going to see is you're not going to see as many free throw attempts. I think they're going to call the game a little tighter. You're not going to see Anthony Davis get to the line and shoot 15 or so. Uh, I think you're going to see better shooting performances across the board as well. Minus five and a half, take Golden State. The Denver Nuggets and Phoenix Suns. The Phoenix Suns are currently three and a half point favorites at home. If they don't get this one, the season's pretty much done. That's what we said earlier. Again, I also think that they push the pace a little bit more. I think they shoot more threes. I think they shoot better from the three-point line. They have to find a way to take Joker out of the game. Again, if they don't get this one, series is basically over. Take the Suns, minus three and a half. Nixon Heat. The Miami Heat are a three-point favorite at home. They're minus three. This is another one where, because Jimmy Buckets, uh, Jimmy Buckets is coming back off of an injury, I don't know how much... He always seems to come up big in these games. He always, he does. But I don't feel confident enough on that three points. The over-under is 208 and a half, though. I would take the 208 and a half over between Jalen Brunson, uh, Josh Hart, uh, Julius Randle. I always, with Julius Randle, I always want to think that Randle's his first name. Between those three guys and R.J. Barrett, they like to shoot the three. They put up a lot of them. I think Miami's going to have to match that a little bit more this year or this 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 upcoming game on Saturday. So I don't like to spread at three, but take the over 208 and a half. We'll see if we can go ahead and make you guys some money. We haven't hit on all the parlays, but that's what I usually do. I usually do $1 parlays, $5 parlays, something low, where if I hit, it's worth a lot more. It's not enough to retire on, but I basically treat all my gambling like I would if I'd ever been to Vegas, which I haven't been to Vegas. I think I get in too much trouble, but I try to associate with the exact same way. I give myself an allocated amount of money. I'm there to have fun. Once it doesn't become fun anymore, you got to get out. So I try to, I try to rationally and just, you know, we're just going to put a little bit off the side. We'll do, we'll do the smaller bets so I can stay here for a while and I can have this fun, but we are over 500 currently for the NBA playoffs. We're just a tick under 60%. Uh, hopefully this, we can do a clean sweep and get better at that. I always tell you guys, if you were to follow or if you were to follow this parlay to a T, this is a plus 1228, basically. So if you were if you were to wager 100 bucks, 
you would win $1,228 if it hits. If you do the exact, if you do all, all everything you're supposed to do, it's a plus 1228. So, and with that being said, we're going to go ahead and hang it up for the day. You've been chopping it up with P. Scott. I'm Prescott Kelly. Make sure to tell your friends, hide your kids, hide your wives. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. Make sure you smash those five-star reviews. Follow, hit the notification bell so you can get notified once these new episodes drop. Thank you to our sponsor. That just newly happened today. Maybe I had a little more juice than I should have. Maybe I was a little more nervous than I usually am. Hopefully we'll be better on Friday for you, though. You guys, as always, stay up. Stay blessed. We'll catch you guys in the next one.